add that to the list of things I can't do. Um, I actually uh, lost my voice this week. Friday morning, woke up, and there was just nothing, not even a squeak. So uh, we're going to see how much of this sermon we get through today. It might be abbreviated. It might not. But uh, this is a family Sunday. It's whenever there's a fifth Sunday uh, in the month. Uh, we uh, don't dismiss the, the you know, kids age four through second grade to children's church. We leave them in the service. And the, the whole service is it's not for them. It's for all of us. But uh, the sermon um, and the rest of the service, we try to particularly include the younger kids. Um, and so today I want to talk about um, bullying and the gospel. Uh, I'll start with this. Uh, 13-year-old girl named Brianna Davis of Savannah, Georgia, says this. She says, the first week they fought Alexis. The second week they jumped Devery. The third week they jumped me. Her bruises have faded, but her consuming fear remains. Her crime sitting in the wrong part of the bus on the way home from school with her sister. A bully wanted her to move. She refused. She says this, he started screaming and spitting in my face, and I I still didn't do nothing. And then he smashed my head against the window. When she defended herself, other kids did what an estimated 70% of bystanders do when they see bullying. They joined in. They beat me up, she says. They kicked me. They boxed me. Everything. But the bus didn't stop. The driver just kept on going. The bullies ended up fleeing through the emergency exit, and Davis was sent to a hospital for a CAT scan. She had been an A student before the assault. Bullying is a brutal reality in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, Uh, As kids, but also, frankly, in different ways as adults, we see it as harassment in the workplace, cyberbullying on Facebook, bullying. How does Jesus speak into it? We're going to look at a passage in Matthew's Gospel. It's the passage of the suffering of Christ, the passion of Christ, when he was bruised and beaten and kicked and mocked and spat at. It's an example, an illustration for us of what bullying at its worst can be, but it's also a resource for us to enable us as Christians, if you're a Christian, to confront bullying, whether you're the one being bullied or whether you're the bystander. Uh, In your pew Bible, we're going to be starting at the end of page 1545. It's Matthew uh, 26, verse 63 to 75, and then we're going to flip over some verses and look later on in chapter 27. It's the gospel according to St. Matthew 26, 63. Jesus has here been questioned, and it says, But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. 
then they spit in his face, and they struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth, and he denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. For your accent gives you away, and they began to call down curses on he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And skipping ahead to verse twenty seven of chapter twenty seven. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium, and they gathered the whole company of soldiers around him, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head, and they put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again and again, and after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him, and then they led him away to crucify him. (laughs) Have you ever been bullied as a child, as a teenager in college, in your workplace, by your family? How many of you have been bullied before? I was bullied. I was a kid who was bullied quite a bit. There are different types of bullying. Uh, There's verbal bullying, which is saying or writing hateful things. Uh, Verbal bullying includes uh, teasing and name-calling and inappropriate comments and taunting and threatening somebody with harm or consequences. Uh, You see it here with the crown of thorns and the mocking uh, of Jesus as the Son of God. You see it in the way that they mocked him and teased him and said horrible things to him. There's verbal bullying. There's also social bullying. This often has the purpose of excluding somebody, making them feel weird or different or defective or unlovable. Uh, It's sometimes referred to as relational bullying. It involves hurting somebody's reputation or hurting their relationships. Social bullying includes leaving someone out on purpose to exclude them, telling others not to be friends with someone, spreading rumors about someone, or embarrassing them in public, like stripping Jesus in front of others. It involves things like gossip and slander, uh, which is basically saying true things that aren't any help or edifying or false things that aren't helpful or edifying. It involves lobbying others to exclude somebody in order to isolate them. There's verbal bullying, social bullying, and then what we're most familiar with, which is physical bullying. That involves hurting somebody's body or possessions. It may include what we see here, hitting and kicking and spitting at Jesus. It could involve pinching or tripping or pushing or taking someone's things or breaking their things or making mean or rude or hateful hand gestures to them. And bullying is not just for kids. The typical victim of cyberbullying is a 19-year-old male 
Uh, added years don't always bring greater maturity. And while adults are more likely to use verbal bullying as opposed to physical bullying, we're less likely to beat someone up and more likely to exclude them or manipulate around them or destroy their reputation. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that we do it too. The, the goal of adult bullying is the same as with kids. It's to gain power over another person, to make himself or herself the dominant adult, to try to humiliate others in order to show them who's boss. <laughs> That's why I don't spend a whole lot of time on Facebook this time of year, or probably not for the next six months, because the kinds of things that, uh, that you read, you know, bullying, we don't outgrow it. It just takes different forms. We see it in how people communicate with each other, especially online, the harsh bullying words to put down your opponents, to insult your opponents, uh, not dealing with the issue critically but talking about them as if they're fools and they're idiots and they're everything that's wrong with the world. That's every bit as much bullying as taking a five-year-old and sticking his head in the toilet during recess. See, adults just do it in more sophisticated ways. Um, We do it in how we frame arguments and voice our opinions, shaming anyone who would speak up for the individual, for the group that we're denigrating. Uh, We see it in the way that we rely on fear to motivate other people, often revealing a fearful heart of the person themselves who's doing the bullying. See, there are different kinds of bullying. It can be verbal, it can be relational, it can be physical, it can be as a child, it can be as an adult. How does it make you feel when you're the one being bullied? Uh, What does it do to you? Uh, It makes you feel so isolated And so alone, when you are being bullied, particularly in front of other people, you begin to think, no one could ever love me. I'm an unlovable person. I'm defective, and I'm going to be alone forever. It can make you feel so much shame when you're the victim, because it makes you feel like the reason you're being bullied is because of something in you, because I'm bad. It's because I'm defective. It's because I'm weird. If I weren't so wrong, this wouldn't be happening to me, and that's why bullying is so cruel. When you look at the passage we read in Matthew's gospel, who was it that was being bullied there? It's Jesus. Was he being bullied because he was defective? Because he was weird? Because he was wrong? In his case, it was because he was right. Uh, It's a cruelty of bullying. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with you. Now, what can you do when you see someone being bullied? If we've all been bullied, or at least a lot of us have been bullied, uh, what can you as a Christian, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, what difference does the gospel make for you? What is it that you can actually do in the face of bullying? There, there are a lot of things we do, you know, and if you're, if you're a child here and you see someone being bullied or you're being bullied, first of all, I would encourage you to talk to a parent Uh, somebody that God has given authority, a teacher, some other adult you trust, because adults have to know when these sorts of things are happening. And whether you're an adult or child, there's the ability, if you're being bullied, to actually show kindness to the person bullying you. And then if you are witnessing someone being bullied, there's the ability to be kind to the person who's being bullied. I mean, you think about it, you know. When, When somebody is trying to exclude them, on the school bus, then you can sit with them and include them on the school bus. 
when somebody's trying to make them feel weird and unlovable in the, in the cafeteria or in the lunchroom or on the playground, you can make them know that they are acceptable and that you love them. When somebody is trying to make them feel utterly alone, you can make sure that they are not alone. Uh, hanging out with them, spending time with them, inviting them to your parties, inviting them into your life, talking to them at school, sitting with them on the bus. See, not saying anything when you see somebody being bullied, and uh, this goes for you adults when it's around the water cooler, around late morning in the workplace, and everybody's trash-talking somebody that may be there or they may not be there. Uh, Not saying anything is very often one of the worst things you can do. You can say, oh, I don't want to get involved. Uh, If you're a Christian, Jesus has involved you. And he has given you grace in order to step in. Because if you don't say anything, then what does that do to the person doing the bullying? It tells them it's okay. Tells them everybody agrees with me. They all admire me. They think I'm right. Look at how strong I am. And it tells them they can get away with it. You know, when adults, when you're standing around uh, in a church setting or in a circle of friends or with your extended family or, or in an office setting, and, and you're discussing various people groups who might be bullied or verbally or physically or otherwise because of their socioeconomic status or their race or their sexual orientation or their migration status or because of the way they look or the weirdness of their personality or their political viewpoints as Christians... Christ calls you to be the voice who does step up. Um, You know, Jesus doesn't just call you to stand alongside hardworking, God-fearing Christians of your social and racial category who are walking with Jesus when they're bullied. He tells you to stand with everyone who is bullied, whether or not they're like you. Uh, He says, love your neighbor. You say, oh, but I don't like this person. He says, love your enemy. You see, when you're one, the one being bullied, it's the hardest thing in the world to believe that all those things they're saying aren't true. And yet, Jesus shows that they're not true because he was bullied and he was bullied on purpose. What does the Bible say? Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Romans 12, St. Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Don't, Don't get back at them, but leave it to the wrath of God. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, then feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you heap burning coals on his head. Think of all those verses in the Bible about protecting the widow, protecting the alien, the foreigner, the refugee, the poor, standing with all of these groups that are susceptible to being bullied and taking, taken advantage of. Uh, God calls for all of us to put an end to it, to protect them, to stand with them, to put ourselves between them and those who would bully them because that's what it means to love. We've got a video of a big black puppy that means really well uh, named Roxy. I think we got a video. And uh, this puppy, Roxy, is really curious about these kittens and maybe a little too aggressive, but these kittens have a supporter. Um, Chihuahua named Charlie. 
watch this dog. It's amazing. Little kittens. He's totally putting him in check. He's like, you know, we have this dog thing together between you and me, and, you know, we're never going to lose that whole dog thing that we have together, but um, you're not getting the kittens. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to stand in the way, and you might be a bigger dog than me, and, but, you know, I'm a chihuahua, and I am just going to so totally put you in your place. You are not messing with these little kittens. You bully, you're not going to do it. I will, I will try to mount you if necessary. I don't know what this looks like, but you are not going to hurt them. And I, I don't need to hurt you, but you're not hurting them. I'm going to stand in the way, um, even though I'm a dog. You're not messing with the little kittens. Yeah. That's, that's what it looks like. Um, you know, Psalm 82.4, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Think back to the time when Jesus uh, visited Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. They were three siblings that were friends of Christ. And on one occasion, it was just six weeks before the Passover, six weeks before uh, Christ himself gave up his life for us, uh, when he was destined to die, that Mary began to anoint Jesus. She got this very expensive vial of perfume. It's the kind of thing that would cost thousands of dollars today. We have a, a picture here of, uh, of Mary anointing Jesus with this very expensive perfume. And it was a beautiful thing. It was a fitting gift for a man who was facing death unlike any other. Uh, it was an anointing with oil. And seeing uh, what to Judas seemed like a waste of money, Judas began to verbally bully Mary. He began to assault her with his tongue as she was pouring this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. He berated her, and he told Mary that she was dishonoring God. If you really loved God, Mary, you would have sold that perfume and give it to the poor, you horrible woman, you foolish woman. How could you do that? You can feel the sting of his words even today, that flush of shame when your face turns red and you begin sweating beads of sweat on the top of your forehead, that upwelling of tears, that pit in your stomach, public humiliation as everybody was looking at her. The silence must have been unbearable. But then one voice spoke up. Jesus did not stand by in silence, and he did not walk away. He came to her defense, and he raised his voice And he spoke with his authority. The words are recorded in your Bible in the 12th chapter of John's Gospel. The words still ring out in their forcefulness. Leave her alone. The words of Christ on behalf of the victim. So why is it so hard for us to do that? Why is it so hard for us when it's your workplace or your extended family or your school bus to actually step up when somebody's being bullied? And it's hard because there are different roles we fall into. Uh, On the one hand, sometimes we can become the assistant to the person bullying. You know, when they start bullying somebody, they're saying these horrible things. Uh, It's very easy if you're in the crowd just to join in 
and to say things as well. I remember a time when I was a child. I think I was in middle school, probably about 12 years old, maybe, uh, maybe 11 or 12. And uh, on the school bus on the way home, I grew up in a, a middle-class subdivision what uh, in suburban D.C., it's the kind of thing that uh, if you were raised in a small town, you describe it as, oh, one of those neighborhoods where the wires and the utilities are all buried. Yeah, one of those neighborhoods where the wires and the utilities are all buried and everybody has nice, perfect lawns except the people that don't and they get scorned. Um, and, uh, but it was on the edge of the metro area, kind of exurbs uh, uh, south of Washington, D.C. And, and on our school bus route, uh, there was a stop sign where it was a small country road hadn't yet been upgraded into the big four lane, and, and the buses tended to stop there. And it was in between developments where it was land that hadn't really changed in probably 80 or 90 years. And there were two wood frame houses there that were about the size of what I considered a garage growing up. And they were the kind of things where um, there might be a couple cars on cinder blocks uh, in the front yard. There might be a sofa with springs popping out on the front porch. The front door would always be open. It hadn't been painted, so it was flaking, rotting wood and a dirt, muddy yard with trash scattered about. And always in the bus, one or two buses ahead of mine, that's when we were all stopped, the line of buses at this stop sign right in front of these houses. And then the doors would swing open, a bus or two ahead of us, and two dirty little boys that looked like they had not been well cared for, would get out, and they begin walking down the gravel to this shack of a house that they lived in. And I remember it like it was yesterday because always one of the kids in the back of one of the buses would begin to open up the door, or open up the windows and put them down and point their finger out and yell, Poor! Poor! And then other kids would join in, and soon it would be the back half of all of the buses, probably a couple hundred kids in this line, all pointing out the window at these two kids who were different, who didn't have the money that the rest of us had, yelling at them, excluding them, berating them. I wonder to this day whatever happened to those young men. And I wish I could say that I stood up and said, no, this is wrong, but I didn't. I, I don't know if I joined in. I might have early on. And I know that at the very least, I stayed silent. And I remember there was one girl on my bus, middle schooler, African American, who after about the 15th time this had happened, she stood up, she threw a purse down, she was crying, and she said, shame on you people. Look at what you're doing. What you're doing is evil. It's against God. She was the only one on all those buses, the only one who had love, and the only one who had courage. You see, we might assist somebody in bullying by joining in. We might just reinforce them by silently doing what I did and providing them an audience. We might think, I'm not having anything to do with this. I'm neutral. This isn't my fight. And that sounds honorable, except that when there are victims, you cannot be neutral. Neutrality means you are always supporting the aggressor. 
If you stand by and watch someone strong bullying someone who's weak and you just watch it happen and say nothing, friends, you are every bit as guilty as the kids pointing their fingers out the window saying, poor, poor. There's no neutrality where there's victims. I say this as somebody who's had a lot to repent of. We try to deflect Me, I was in grade school, I was always thankful for Darren Scott. He was the kid who was two inches shorter than me because I was always the second shortest, second smallest, second weakest kid in my school. All along, I spent my entire time through grade school and probably middle school just trying to become invisible, trying to deflect the bullying, trying to make sure it bypassed me and hit Darren or someone else so that I could just float into the woodwork and not become the object of bullying. Sometimes we might have joined in the bullying to fit in. Um, You know, sometimes uh, I have to realize, you know, why does this happen? You know, it's there, but for the grace of God, go I. Um, I realized this just this last July 4th. You know, I don't think we're always very honest about what's inside of us and what we're capable of. Um, it was July 4th, which I live in a high-rise, an old 1920s hotel converted into apartments right across from Forest Park. And so Forest Park is my front yard, which is great about 360 days of the year, except for the 4th of July weekend, because, um, you know, not only the fireworks in the park, but I also look down on two absolutely beautiful, lovely streets, nicest streets in St. Louis, Westmoreland and Portland Place. They're right below me. And, you know, they're all two, three-story houses, and I'm on the 11th floor, and, and you know, there's this, um, I'm sure, wonderful gentleman uh, on Portland Place who every year he likes to fire military ordnance over his house on the 4th of July, which if you've ever experienced that, um, or some of these really loud fireworks, you've probably experienced them from the ground, where the fireworks are over there blowing up and creating massive ear-popping sound waves, And between them and you, you've got people and trees and more people and some cars and some bushes and all sorts of stuff to break up those sound waves. When you're on the 11th floor of a high-rise and somebody one block over is firing military ordnance that is exploding right outside your window, there is nothing to cushion the blow. Uh, I've got a photo here, I think, of, of, of some fireworks. Yeah, so imagine this right outside your living room. And um, I, I believe I've mentioned before, uh, next slide, um, I have uh, cats. And uh, when I'm trying to feed the cats about 9.45 at night, and, uh, and then military ordinance explodes outside my window, and my cats run for their dear lives, and they are freaking out and miserable and terrified, I wanted to find that house. I wanted to take a baseball bat. I was half-heartedly hoping that some horrible accident would leave their house burned down with no human fatalities, just, uh, you know, because it's what's inside of all of us. All it takes, all hate requires is some misplaced loyalty and a lot of anger. And Fourth of July weekend... Every night about 9.45 when my babies, these are my only children. When you're scaring my children, my impulse is to become a bully 
And by God's grace, I didn't own a baseball bat. It's all it takes. So why can't we stand up for people when they're being bullied? We can't stand up because we're part of the problem. We're capable, every one of us, of becoming the bully. We're capable of bullying people that are different from us, however they're different from us. And we're capable when someone we love is being threatened, we're capable of becoming the very worst ourselves. And even in the rest of the time, we're so concerned to not be bullied ourselves that we just want to stay out of it. Thank you. So, where is there hope then? I can't change my own heart. I can't change someone else's heart. Um, Here's where Christian hope comes in because this is where we're looking at a passage where we're not just looking at an illustration of what bullying looks like. When we are looking at the abuse and the passion that Jesus of Nazareth underwent for us, we are also looking at the resource that we have as Christians in order to address and confront bullying because God was bullied for us. That's what we read about here. He was spit on, mocked, beaten, stripped, even killed, and did it on purpose for our sake so that he could stand in solidarity with us as one who was bullied, who can stand with victims as they are bullied and give them the strength to confront and the strength to forgive. It's solidarity. I've got another uh, 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 story to tell you. This is from the 1992 Olympics. It was the U.S. men's volleyball team. They arrived in Barcelona. They were the defending gold medalists. They'd won the gold medal in 1984 and again in 1988. And one of the young stars of this team, uh, of Team USA, was a guy by the name of Bob Samuelson. He was a young, brash player. His, was his height and his muscular build, along with his natural athletic ability. It just made him stand out. And part of it was the aggressiveness and no-holds-barred attitude that stemmed from a skin condition that left him bald at just 18 years of age, requiring a mental tenacity and confidence. Today, you know, Lots of men and women shave their heads on purpose. It's the look right now. It's really cool. But this was in 1992. I was in 1992. I was a friend of 1992. And 1992 was women with crimpers and big hair and men with hair parted down the middle and still feathered back on the sides after 15 years. It still hadn't really properly shifted. Lots of hair. Now... In its opening game, Team USA defeated Japan, or at least that's what the original score indicated. And as in soccer and other sports, there were penalty cards, yellow or red, that are issued for various reasons, depending on the sport. And in Samuel's case, during the opening game, he received his first yellow card after a verbal disagreement over a referee's call. Um, He was something of a hothead. He was known for having a temper, particularly when he felt treated unjustly. And so he blew up. He said something he shouldn't have said, and, and this time the referee hesitated in this second game to give him a second yellow card because that would have meant immediate disqualification, and it would have meant a penalty point, which would have given Japan the set in the match. And the referee, using his judgment, didn't want the outcome of an Olympic game to be determined by a penalty point. Following the U.S. win, the Japanese team filed a formal complaint. 
And upon immediate review, the International Volleyball Federation jury voted unanimously to reverse the game's result and gave the game to Japan. And Team USA was outraged, but Bob Samuelson was humiliated. You see, he's the one who had blown it for his team. He's the one whose temper had gotten out of control. He's the one who questioned the referee's call. He's the one who, in front of everybody else, lost it for the United States of America. And as a result, they'd lost any chance of winning the gold. You can imagine uh, what might have played in his head. My teammates are going to hate me. I let them down. The fans are going to see me out on that court, and they'll see my bald head. And, you know, they're going to look at the bald guy and say, that bald guy, he's the one to blame. He's the one who, who blew it for us. He's the one who lost the gold. That guy right there on the court, look at him. He's the one who blew it, and he lost it for all of us. At their very next game, on July 28th, When Team USA emerged on the court for the second game of the Olympics against Canada, no one could spot Bob Samuelson at first. We've got a picture as Team USA came out because every member of the USA men's volleyball team emerged onto the court bald. They'd all shaved their heads. Bob was their teammate, and they were not going to let him be alone. Twelve shiny heads reflecting the lights of the stadium. Team USA, they became known as the Barcelona Bald Eagles, and they went on to win the bronze. Friends, that is solidarity. That is not letting your teammate be excluded, not letting your teammate be bullied or mocked or take the abuse, but standing with him because you love him. Friends, you're not alone because that's what Jesus did for us. When he went to the cross, when he let himself be bullied and abused, he was doing it for you. Thank you. That's the kind of love that can make you strong. It can make you strong to be able to confront bullying behaviors. A lot of times, those of us who are adults, kids forgive us, a lot of times we give bad advice. And when somebody comes to us and they're being bullied, We go to Matthew's gospel, to the Sermon on the Mount, and we say, well, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And I want you to notice what Jesus does when he was abused, when he was bullied. He actually didn't turn the other cheek, because when he said turn the other cheek, he was using something called hyperbole. It's rhetorical overstatement to make the point that you do not take out revenge upon them, but rather forgive them and love them. And what happens in this passage when Jesus is beaten? as he verbally confronts them. It's the same thing you see in John's gospel when they, they started striking Jesus. He didn't then turn around and say, oh, hit this one too. No. No, he said, now are you hitting me because I said something true or because I said something false? Because if it's something false, I want to understand what that is. And if it's something true, then I want to understand why you are beating me. You look at his words. He confronted because that's what love requires us to do. Loving your enemy is, yes, confronting them, not burying it alive so that it can come back and haunt you later. You know, it's it's confronting a person and their bullying behavior. It takes more strength than just submitting to the abuse because you think, gosh, if I don't give him my lunch money, he's going to hit, grab me by the hair and put my head in the toilet. And, And he might do that. 
But the gospel gives you the strength, the love that Jesus gives you by being bullied for your sake, by taking your blows for you and standing in solidarity with you. That's the strength that you can have to confront it, whether it's you as the victim or whether it's someone else as the victim. I've got a story of a young man named Christian or Chris. He writes this. He says, the first step to getting free from an addiction is admitting you have a problem. However, he says, this is the hardest step. Because you've got to let go of all your comforts and everything you hide behind. You've got to allow yourself to be completely broken and vulnerable to those around you. He says, when I was a child, I had an incredible family. However, we were far from perfect. I struggled with self-worth because I was bullied by my middle brother and his friends. We have a picture here. My brother he said, struggled with a mixture of bad habits which didn't help with his anger issues. My first black eye and stitches came from him. I typically locked myself in my room when my parents weren't home, but by the time I was 14, I was very hurt and I was confused and my parents had no idea of my struggle. My brother always told me he'd beat me up and hurt me if I told them. See, it was like an addiction. I couldn't admit that there was a problem and so I couldn't break free from his control. And as long as he had control, the bullying didn't stop. It wasn't until college that I finally told my mom. She was shocked. She had no idea these things had happened. I thought in telling her I'd be free from my past, but I was wrong. It wasn't until two years ago that God began showing me he loved me. And he loved my brother's broken, screwed up mess too. And 100% accepted him in the middle of it. God saw exactly who my brother was and everything I was and everything we've been through, and yet he chose us. For the first time, I had love for my brother, and so I wrote my brother a letter. I told him all the things that he did that hurt me, but despite those things, I told him I still love him, and I'm praying for him, and I do want to have a relationship with him. He says we still have a long way to go. Things definitely aren't great yet, but I have victory in knowing that one day it's going to be restored. You see, friends, Paul says God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. And when you're the victim, he gives you that spirit. He gives you the power. He gives you the power to confront, the power to forgive. He gives you the love. He gives you the self-control. Deuteronomy 31, the Lord says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you, and he will not leave you. He will not forsake you, because God himself was bullied in order to rescue you. He took your blows at Gethsemane. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, have mercy. And he cried out for all of you. He cried out for his disciples. He cried out for Peter, for James, for John, for a tax collector named Matthew, all of his people through all of time. And he said to the Father, Father, I won't give them up. I can't give them up. And he said, is there any other way? And the Father said, there is only one way. It's possible for you to keep them. It's possible for you to rescue them. But it's going to cost you hell. And so Jesus said, give me hell. And we see him receiving hell and the blows and the abuse and the bite and the the, the spit and humiliation and ultimately in absorbing the wrath for all of humanity's sin on the cross and letting it crush him in order to rescue you and give you the hope of eternal life. Think of the woman caught in adultery 
recorded in John chapter 8, how she had been dragged from the privacy of her own home into the public courts of the temple. We have a, one last picture here of what that was like. Barefoot and disheveled, sweaty from the struggle, a mop of hair hanging in her face, her jaws fixed, her teeth are clenched, her lips are pressed into thin lines of resistance, her nostrils are fair, flared in breathy defiance. Adulteress, they charged, caught in the act. Religious leaders stood around her, heaping abuse upon abuse. They shove her to the ground. They call her names. They appeal to the law of God and call for the death penalty. Surely this woman should be stoned. For they had witnessed. They had been peering through the window. They knew what she had done. You wonder how long had they watched and what thoughts had gone through their minds. You can imagine, you know, what it was like as these guardians of morality stormed into the door of her bedroom where she lay defenseless. You can imagine how she struggled as they wrestled to subdue her, as they pushed her into her clothes like a pig into a gunny sack to be taken, kicking and squealing to market, taken to the slaughter. And thus she arrived at the temple of the Lord, torn from the privacy of a stolen embrace and thrust into public shame. This is it, she tells herself. This is the end. Her fate forever at the hands of men, the men who used her and the men who then rejected her. And so she stands there, sullen, her eyes deep sinkholes of anger, and every eye that circles her returns that searing anger, branding a scarlet letter onto her soul. Every eye is there, every eye looking at her in anger, except for the eyes of one man. Jesus is there. Jesus, he doesn't say a word. There is no question. Her life, death, is in the balance. And Jesus doesn't enter into a debate, but he stoops down on the ground as if to gather his thoughts. The silence is deafening. The drama is intense, and with his finger, Jesus begins writing in the stand. The necks of these righteous old men crane to decipher the writing. What he writes, it's forever going to remain a mystery. We're not told. Maybe it's the sins that the crowd has committed. Maybe it's a quote from Moses. Maybe it's the names of prominent leaders there. Maybe it's the names of the women and men from their own past, from their own indiscretions, from their own fantasies, names which would forever bring shame upon them should anyone ever find out. What if Jesus knows? And Jesus stands up. Attention is passed from the woman to this other one, this man who's intervened, this figure who has made himself the center of the bully's rage. And all eyes are now fixed on Jesus, and at last he speaks. If any one of you is without sin then let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And the words are disarming. And one by one, the stones thud to the ground. And one by one, the men leave. They're starting with the oldest, perhaps because they are the wisest, or perhaps because they were the most guilty. And the woman and Jesus, they're alone now, the lawbreaker and the lawgiver. He's the only one qualified to condemn her, and yet he doesn't. The Savior stood up for this unknown woman and fought for her. 
his victory. She is his victory. And he stands up again this time to free her. He asks, has no one condemned you? Timid words stumble from her lips as she looks around to see that all of the men had left. No one, sir. She waits for a reply. Certainly a sermon must be gathering momentum in the wings, but no sermon comes. What comes are words of grace, and neither do I condemn you. Jesus intervened. He drew a line in the sand in order to protect her, to protect us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I give you thanks. And I give thanks to your Father for the faithfulness with which you come to us, the grace which you show us. For you are the one who comes to our defense. You are our Savior and our friend and our God. And so we consecrate to you the elements on this table, Lord, that you administer the gospel to us whom you have rescued. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The Lord be with you. And lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is good and right to give him thanks. If you are a member in good standing of any church where Jesus is held forth as Savior and King, then uh, this sacrament is for you. Uh, if you're not prepared to come to Jesus in this meal, you can just pass by without taking the elements. But we hope that you will be able to take part because this is the Lord's table. And it's here that he bows down on his knees in order to serve you. For it was on that night in which he was betrayed that the Lord Jesus took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat. This is my body. It is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, the Lord Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Friends, great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Therefore, let us keep the feast.